Hi there, this is Clark Terry here, reminding you to pull your bearskins a little closer to the fire. That's it. <laughs> now you're talking to me. Ah, watch out for those snapping sparks. Everybody cozy? Now the good news is that you're in time for the humble farmer. You've worked hard all day, and you deserve to relax now. So stay right there and listen to the best of this kind of music. here on the humble farmer thank you thank you thank you for listening we will be playing Vix today and Jack T Garden and other people of interest but first if you were to google the New York State Society for Respiratory Care you might be surprised at what you will find if you read through this web page as I did you will learn that the student sputum bowl final competition is held annually each fall during the southeastern chapter symposium now i'd like to know a little bit more about this sputum bowl final competition is it something particular to new york or does this sputum bowl final competition exist in other states 
And exactly what does the competition consist of? I'm the humble farmer at gmail.com and I'd like to hear from you if you can bring up anything on the topic. I mean, if you can bring up anything on the topic. Do you remember my telling you that my friend Winky once worked as a laboratory assistant in our local department of respiratory care? His job, you might remember, was to photograph samples of mucus for microscopic analysis. And he got very, very good at it. But you might remember that his girlfriend's father threw him out of the house when, she, when he heard about it. The old man said he didn't want his daughter hanging out with no film phlegm artist.
Jack, Jack T. Garden. Again, you're listening to The Humble Farmer. I am thehumblefarmer at gmail.com. Of course, I'd love to hear from you. Years and years and years ago, I bought a book called Frog and Toad Are Friends. It is a book, as you well know, written by a very good and talented man whose name was Arnold Lobel. And I bought it because I recall enjoying Frog and Toad Are Friends back when I was very young probably when I was teaching grade school, and used this book. But now, 40-plus years later, and hopefully a more discriminating reader, I found a couple of disturbing things. To get an exhausted toad out of bed after only half a winter's nap, Frog tears the February, March, and April pages off Toad's calendar. Seeing May on his calendar, Toad thinks that spring has arrived, gets out of bed and goes for a walk with the crafty frog. The message to young people is clear. If your friends will not listen to reason, you can get your own way by employing deceit. And where do we see that today? Not that Toad himself would be able to cast the first stone because... When he couldn't find his button, he jumped up and down and screamed. Do you want your youngsters to learn that a temper tantrum is an acceptable response to frustration? However, on the positive side of Frog and Toda friends, your children will preview the shameful reality we all live with in the United States today because... When Frog mailed his next-door neighbor a letter, Toad didn't get it until four days later.
What? I thought there would be a boom at the end. Did you know that the life expectancy of people varies from country to country? According to some fairly recent figures, in Japan the average life expectancy for men is 85. In Iceland, it is 81. Way down on the list at number 36 is the United States, where men can be expected to live 77 years. And of course, this changes from year to year. It probably, I think it probably goes up every year. 77 years is the life expectancy of men in the United States, according to this fairly recent figure. Because my lips never touch alcohol, tobacco, or rice, I have outlived the typical American man and have finally managed to be above average in something. Yes, you're right. These facts are hardly interesting enough in themselves to warrant your attention. But get this, get this. On another page, we read that people who live on mountaintops outlive their neighbors in the polluted valleys. Because I used to have many fleecy friends on my fleecy acres farm, I was not dis surprised to read that in a recent year there were only three deaths related to sheep and goat farming. But what really blew me out of my chair was the fact that there are no statistical figures on vegans who own Apple computers. It seems that not one of them has ever died.
Django here on the Humble Farmer, where with any luck at all you can hear me playing old-fashioned music just for you every week at this time. <laughs> Thank you for listening. You might guess that nobody in the world has ever heard of Annie Dillard's Pilgrim at Tinker Creek, but you would be wrong. A friend mentioned that this book was being discussed by some literary or social breakfast group in Rockland, so I looked it up. <laughs> no wonder I've never heard of Tinker Creeker Annie Dillard. Tinker Creek was written ten years after I baptized classmates in a Gorham American Lit class. I baptized them with water I'd brought home from Walden Pond. Yes, I had even finished graduate school before this book was written. Don't you wish people would stop writing books? How can anyone be expected to keep up? Thank goodness that one had the ba doop ba doop on the end. 
You must certainly, yes, you must certainly remember Clifton Fadiman's lifetime reading plan. It was around 1960 that you could sign up for Clifton Fadiman's lifetime reading program. Do you know if it made allowances for anything that was to be written after 1960? I never joined. I never joined because it sounded like a grim way to spend one's life. The inevitable end was clearly delineated, as Mr. Fadiman certainly found out at the age of 95 when he put a bookmark in Madame Bouvery and never picked her up again. There lived a chicken who would say chick 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 all day. Soon that chick got sick and tired of just chick chick. So one morning he started to say chickery chick chala chala chekalaroni in a banana kabalika walika can you see chickery chick is me. Chickery chick, chala chala, chekalaroni in a banana kabalika walika can't you see? Chickery chick is me. Every time you're sick and tired of just the same old thing, saying just the same old words all day. Be just like the chicken who found something new to sing. Open up your mouth and start to say, Oh, chickery chick, chala chala, chekalaroni in a banana kabalika walika. Can't you see? Chickery chick is me. sick and tired of just the same old thing saying just the same old words all day be just like the chicken who found something new to sing open up your mouth and start to say Can't you see, chickery chick is me. Every once in a while I like to play a song that we all know the words to so we can sing along. That was Sammy Kay, not to be confused with Danny Kay. Sammy Kay, chickery chick from 1945. Chickery chick, chala, We all know people. You know who we're talking about here. We all know people who plan things. Days and weeks and even months ahead. You know who these people are? They write these things down on calendars. They write these things in their little notebooks. These people know exactly what they're going to do every day. You know this. Any change, do you live with one of these people? Any change in their schedule throws them for a loop. An existence like that is not a life. 
It is the chronicle of an inmate in a maximum security federal prison. On the other hand, some of us are very happy to get out of bed in the morning with nothing more on the agenda than eat my rolled oats and take a shower. As a creature of habit, if I may coin a phrase, some of us are distressed by even minuscule variations in our breakfast and bathing routines. It is not until we have completed these imperative functions that we extend our welcoming arms and are open for business at 6.30 in the morning. One morning, the direct TV in our home did not work. Now, I don't know if it presages World War Three, or if something has burnt out in the guts of our machine. You know very well that there are people who cannot sit on the john without a book in their hand, and there are people who cannot eat them on in rolled oats, which requires two hands, unless they are learning from a colored screen how many of their neighbors in the next town were shot with a handgun the night before. And I am both of these people. Humble farmer question for the week. What do you do when your 
power on your TV go out.
And it's superfluous to mention that that was Clark Terry, because nobody else, of course, could do that. Thank you for listening to The Humble Farmer with any luck at all. I'm here every week at this time on your favorite radio station playing old-fashioned music. Just for you, I am thehumblefarmer at gmail.com. Love to hear from you. And before getting out of bed one morning, I finished reading the last five pages in Thomas Kuhn's controversial 1962 book, The Structure of Scientific Revolutions. This is a remarkable achievement for me as I usually get halfway through a book and move on to another. Although I would be hard-pressed to write an academic review of this book, I think I understand at least one of his basic premises, and I'm glad I was able to write my initials and the date and time on the last page. I do that when I finish a book. In too many places, Professor Kuhn lost me. You're probably not surprised to hear that. I could read all but perhaps two of his words, but I still had no idea of what he was talking about. His train of thought was as hard to follow as that of a of an 18th century philosopher. On the other hand, outside of a few very necessary but obscure scientific vocabulary items, Stephen Hawking uses simple language that's geared to the layman. And I can't understand him either. Professor Kuhn added to my TV less distress that morning by forcing me to realize, for the umpteenth time over the past 60 years, that I have never been able to memorize the definitions of ontology or epistemology. Perhaps it has never been necessary for me to do so, so I have contented myself with having to look them up in the dictionary time after time whenever pressed, even as I have done countless times with compliment and compliment, compliment with the E and compliment with the I. I can't remember the difference. What a curious and complicated thing is the human brain. It will permit some of us to memorize the melody and changes to hundreds of songs, learn to read half a dozen languages, and yet, not let us recognize faces or spell.
Voodoo, boom. Thank you for listening to The Humble Farmer. I am the humble farmer at gmail.com. Love to hear from you. A Harvard man sat in my kitchen one day and, with a casual sideways glance at the exotic phone in the hand of his beautiful young wife, he boasted that he had neither cell phone nor iPad. Because he doesn't need a cell phone or an iPad. Do you think that Martha Stewart's husband would go hungry if he couldn't even warm up a can of beans? Tatum, of course. Totem pole boogie. One morning, a joyous message appeared on our answering machine. And although I might someday forget the message, I will not soon forget the manner in which it was delivered, for it was a technological first in our household. The message we got was a text message that was articulated by our telephone. Can you believe that? He sent a text message, but the machine actually talked it to us. I'd never heard of such a thing before. This message was from a man who thanked us and said that 
around midnight he had found his dog. He'd been there to the house earlier, and I'd reported this lost dog. Anyway, it's nice that technology enables us to even retrieve these mysterious text messages. And as I said, to my knowledge, this is the first text message I have ever received. It must, so it must go on record. We have all heard of the space shuttle, but I wouldn't know how to buckle myself into the thing and navigate it. Most people have heard of the handheld telephone that sends text messages, but I wouldn't know how to operate that either. My question to you. Am I a member of the last generation to occupy this wonderful planet without ever having sent a text message? I do not have a mobile mobile telephone thing, and I do not want one. Which makes me a bit different from my grandfather Gilchrist, who died in 1927, always wanting a radio, but never owning one. I don't know what I'm doing here. That was, so I have two big CDs, and I must have been playing them wrong here or something. I'm going to have to figure that out. 
let me see what I was doing here. I'm, uh, I'm not prepared for you. Let me see if I get this. Oh, yes. I wanted to comment on a letter I got from that uh, comment on the text message. And this is a letter from Dr. Olga, who responded when I posted that on my the previous rant on my Facebook page. Dr. Olga says, I text all the time. It allows the texter to control the degree of involvement with the recipient in a way one could not on the phone or in an email. Why avoid this? It is a polite way of keeping people at arm's length. It avoids quarrels. I think that's very interesting. It avoids Always something you can learn, isn't it, by asking. I'm the humble farmer at gmail.com. Love to hear from you, too. This time he's picked the Jim Dandy. It's called Four Flats Unfurnished. Lester?
that's done. Let's see if I can get through this rant. Nowadays, we not only exchange letters electronically with our friends, but also shop movies called video files. And one someone posted on some web page showed a deer that had broken through thin ice in a shallow pond. A helicopter hovered over the deer, and the downward prop thrust blew the deer onto the ice and across the ice to the bank, where the poor little thing ran into the woods. The deer was saved. But you know as well as I do that as soon as that helicopter was gone, you know that that deer is going to walk back out on the ice and fall into the pond again. I'm the humble farmer. Thank you again for listening.